Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 50 of the Filmed Live Musicals podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Lyons, and I'm honored to have as my guest today, Alex Borovensky, the founder and executive director of the Pro-English Theatre and Drama School in Kyiv, the only English language theatre in the Ukraine. Shortly after the Russian invasion into the Ukraine in February, Alex and his girlfriend, Annabel Sotelo Ramirez, who is an actress, moved into the basement of the Pro-English Theatre, which served as a bum shelter, a volunteer centre, and a theatre. Over the past nine months, Pro-English Theatre has continued to create new work, collaborated with theatres and artists in Japan, Taiwan, and Australia, performed at Prague Fest with an adaptation of The Book Thief, staged their own international festival, ProAct Fest, whose theme was Unbreakable, and continued to teach theatre. Welcome, Alex. Hello. Hello, Lisa. It's a privilege to be at Filmed Live, and I really don't know what we're going to be talking about. You said everything in the introduction about <laughs> Pro-English Theatre. And our I, have, story. I have so many questions for you. But to start us off, uh, you've shared that you started your professional life teaching English and came to theater later in life. What made you fall in love with theater? I came to theater pretty late. I would say I was already like 30 years old. And that's late. You should start, <laughs> I guess, like when you're 10 or 12. And I pretty much hated theater before. And that's so strange because it was mostly imposed on me. Like, you know, uh, school teachers, they get you to theater and they show you these strange things about the poetry stuff and everything, uh, really something that you don't want to see, or stupid comedies. And then when I moved to Kiev, which happened right after university, I discovered the totally different theater. I discovered experimental theater, independent theater, European-style theater, and I started watching it. I started going as the theater lover pretty much two or three times per week. So then when I was 30 and I was invited to <laughs> perform... Uh, in, let's say, community theater, I understood this is something that I probably would like to do. And since my first education was a teacher of English, then the natural response was what kind of theater I would like to do later on. When I get enough knowledge and skills, that would be the theater in English. That's how English theater came into play. Mm. What was the theater scene like in the Ukraine for you growing up? Like you mentioned, you know, learning at school, but what, what kind of productions were available? Yeah, Ukraine was in a very strange position in the zeros in 2000 because we still had a big influence, what I call Sovietic theater. And Sovietic theater in Ukraine is very strange because it has the strong national tradition. But the national tradition is that we basically come on stage and we start singing traditional Ukrainian songs and everybody's wearing costumes and it's all based on the traditional novels and stuff which is pretty boring to me these days. But at the same time, especially in Kiev and capital and Ivano-Frankivsk and some other big cities, the new theater movement started with independent theaters, with experiments, theater directors like Zoldak, who right now stages things in Europe. They brought the performances into new perspective. Uh, Ukraine really started blooming in terms of theater, and this was a very different balance. Because if you go to my native city, Cherkasy, which is much smaller scale city. The theater wasn't like that. But some experimental production started even there. So it was big disbalance, very interesting to observe and very interesting to take part because at the same time, in Kiev specifically, there was a lot of drama studios. 
people started experimenting with theater and tried something on their own. So it was not so much like, you know, you graduate from university, five years studying, then you become an actor, then you stuck to one theater for life, which is pretty much Ukrainian theatrical system. No, you could then, what I did, three years in drama studio, and then little by little, you start creating your own productions. That's the system. Oh, that's cool. You get much more creative aspects to it. And that's interesting that uh, the kind of traditional model was going to drama school and then, or training, and then going to one theater company. Is it like a repertory system? Exactly. And it's still there. Right now, we only come into a system where Ukrainian actors who work in, say, state theaters, we just two years ago, we introduced this contract system. When you have one year contract and then your contract is renewed or not. And you can go to different theater depending on how good you are, depending what you bring to the theater. Before this, it was pretty much for life, which means you come to the theater and you stay there for 20, 25 years. And it's a repertoire theater, so you can play the same performance. I heard about performances, Luisa, who was like 250 shows of a kind. And it's like, it's clear that the show gets stained and boring and it's not alive anymore. Uh, so only now we're starting into the project theater and say pro-English theater is a project theater. We put a performance, then we perform it five, 10 times, and then we shut it down and start another one. Mm. So that's something new that's coming to Ukraine right now. And as your work has shown is able to be very responsive and adaptive to what's going on around you. Oh, I would say (laughs) we have no choice. Uh, Well, first of all, we are independent theater which means we're following the principles of Jerzy Grotowski of a poor theater, simply because we are poor theater. We, if we're lucky to get some funding, we're lucky. <laughs> That's not that often, which means we have to go with what we have, which means we perform in different places, different theatrical venues, not always theatrical venues. We have to adapt to this usage of lights, usage of props, usage of everything is pretty much dictated by that. Then, because we independent theater, I believe we're much quicker in responding to what's happening. That's why, with the beginning of Russian big-scale invasion, which is the February of this year, we responded immediately. By now, we created six different performances from the beginning of February, which is three times as much as we created in the previous two years. We felt this need to speak as artists, to respond as artists, and we did. And uh, I barely sleep these days, but we do create theater, and I do think it's our resistance. And we can, because we're independent. Mm. Oh, I love theater as resistance. Nothing more powerful than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've, you've talked about creating work through, through the invasion. What does the theater scene as a whole look like in the Ukraine? Are, are the theaters operating, or are they pretty much shut down at this point? Uh, then we, could, we need to take a look at the whole story, how it started in uh, February. Because the end of February, 24th of February, Russia attacked Ukraine from every direction. And I guess there was no, no at least no big city that wasn't bombed. Kiev was encircled. And that days, and pretty much like throughout the whole march, they tried to take this blitzkrieg war to take Ukraine as a whole, which means pretty much all the theaters stopped because it was impossible. Like some people, evacu- some actors, uh, artists evacuated to the west of Ukraine. Some artists fled the country and they are refugees up until now in European uh, countries. 
Some artists did join territorial defense, uh, defense forces or army. One of my artists uh, is right now, he's in the army. And I talk to him every day, like to make sure that he's safe. And he, yeah, so he's, an, he's a soldier, which means theaters, especially repertoire to our theaters, they were doomed. There is no way you can continue. Some theaters, they uh, changed the way they were working and they became volunteer centers. Some theaters, theaters started uh, spreading out humanitarian help. Some theaters, mine included, uh, started serve as the bomb shelters because theater is usually big and they have big basements. And so uh, local people were living there, lots of local people. And for some theaters, it was really not such a great choice because Mariupol theater, it was used as a bomb shelter. That's why Russians bombed it. And mm. they, say, they say that it's about 600 people killed with the bombing. And it's, you know, bombing theater is to me one of the things, it's uh, like, you know, there was this uh, ancient Greek who burned the huge library uh, in order to become famous. So this is, I believe, how Russians would become infamous. Because war is one thing, even such inhuman war as they do, but bombing theaters. Ah, uh, yeah. But getting back to the, to the question, Lisa, it's uh, in the West of Ukraine, well, the whole country was shocked uh, because the war was so unexpected and illogical. So for, I'd say for two or three weeks, we were only trying to get back, not to normal, but to the new normal, I would say, to the logistics of war. So theaters didn't operate. Then, because, say, west of Ukraine, it wasn't attacked physically, just bombed, just bombed, <laughs> just bombed. <laughs> I would yes. say that's pretty attacked physically. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> for us <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so anyways, uh, there was a lot of refugees from the central part of Ukraine, from the east of Ukraine, lots of people. They needed some relief. So west, uh, theaters in the west of Ukraine, they started uh, going back. And I guess this, in three weeks, they started showing some things. Uh, taking into consideration the safety precautions. Because even now, if you hear the air siren, and pretty much in every city you hear it like two or three times per day, you have to stop the performance and take your audience down to the basement, provided there is a basement. Not every theater has it. So anyways, imagine the performance is interrupted. Uh, it's like very interesting situation with the theater like on the, po on the spot. But those theaters who do have basements, they are lucky. I would say, like us, we are in the basement. Mm. We can perform. <laughs> and so you have people like coming into the venue to watch performances. Yes, we do. Uh, our first premiere uh, of the performance called The Book of Sirens, which we staged in March while we were living in the bomb shelter of our theater, we started rehearsals. So we premiered this performance on the 9th of April, if I'm not mistaken, and we premiered it in the same premises in the same theater slash bomb shelter. And our first audience were the inhabitants of the bomb shelter. But then for the second show, some other people came and we got like 20 people audience. And for those days, it was plenty. Uh, nowadays, we're performing in bigger venues, like there is this National Center of Les Curbas in the very center of the city. And we perform there, but it's not basement. So we just like, you know, we have our fingers crossed and we hope that for two hours of performance, there are no sirens and no bombings. And that's, that's the reality. And we do ask uh, the audience to have their telephone switched off, as you always do in the theater. But this uh, air alarm, it doesn't go with this. So air alarms, say, on iPhone, it would go anyways. 
So very often, uh, and I heard it during the performance, this new reality is back there. The sirens, they are back there into the show. So we just now started to adapt it into the performance canva, <laughs> let's say. Wow. And you, you don't need to evacuate everybody down, like somewhere else? These like days, the it's pretty much, well, uh, there are ways, uh, because uh, air siren means uh, that there is a potential threat. It not, doesn't necessarily mean that the, the uh, uh, missile will hit your city. It means that there is an, a plane with, say, Kinjal missiles or everything, and it gets into the direction, pretty much the direction, this direction of a country. And there is the time. Pretty much it's from 15 minutes to two hours until the missile reached the target. So we have time to consider. And right now, every Ukrainian, they are following these Telegram channels that they tell you which direction the missile hits. So we pretty much we take this, I don't know, uh, game of luck when you check. Uh, and uh, if it's not going your direction, you, you don't stop the performance. You go on because it's impossible. People need to get the relief. People need to get the message. People need to get the art. And uh, we wouldn't risk people's lives. But if the missile is not going your direction, you don't stop the show. Show must go on. That's our motto. <laughs> <laughs> in in every circumstance. And on top of all of this, we're dealing with COVID as well. Has that been a factor of, you know, have you had to take that into consideration too? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the COVID times were pretty heavy on Ukrainian uh, theatrical life. We had to, well, we had to stop completely for that big lockdown period. Then we had 50% audience, sometimes 30% audience allowed mask system and everything. But with the beginning of the big scale invasion, I would say COVID almost disappeared. Like not disappeared in terms we don't notice it. The numbers of people getting sick, uh, they become much fewer. And uh -huh. I would say it's not a recipe. It's a bad recipe, but, uh, you <laughs> do know. Do not recommend. <laughs> yes, do not recommend at all. But I believe that the human organism, it gets uh, energized into like big way because the war is the scariest thing that can happen. Uh, so really, with the COVID these days, we don't think so much about it. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> much, much bigger fish to fry. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the ProAct Fest. Uh, which you staged in um, August with the theme Unbreakable. And it had seven works from, from your theater and then over a dozen performances from around the world, including Chicken Sheds Waiting to Sail from the UK and Cynthia Shaw's Velvet Determination from the US, both of whom I've interviewed. So it was a <laughs> nice, nice crossover there. What was the submission process and the selection process for creating the festival? Product Fest is our fifth installation. It's a yearly annual uh, festival that we put out five years already, and it's international English-speaking festival. And we were going on quite nicely. We had an artists from uh, New York coming uh, previous years. This year, we were not going to have the festival at all because of the war, for sure. But then I said, hell no. Having a festival in the center of Kiev, in the center of big bombings, would give a big message to the world and having this festival in English and international would even give even bigger message. So originally we invited uh, everybody to come to Kiev and perform in person. Well, naturally nobody came because, well, <laughs> I understand it. <laughs> I clearly understand it. So uh, for live program of the festival for two days, we performed mostly what Pro English Theatre have. Uh, and then we had a huge online program. 
And we gave this call uh, through different uh, channels. Uh, Eventatron, I think, yeah, Eventatron was the big helper, helper there and Sinsaver, the British company. And uh, they responded immediately. Artists who took part in Edinburgh Fringe, they just came with their online performances. That's how we met Cynthia and the rest of the guys. They are just magnificent. Not only they sent their performances, they were ready to talk about the shows. And for us, it was, like I say in the beginning, we're pretty much isolated here with all this speaking out to people. It's not so much here from your side. Everybody wants to know how Ukraine is. And we so rarely hear how the world is, and we need to, I believe, because we get isolated. So anyways, we started this uh, series of talks to the artists getting to know. When we basically meet in Zoom and talk to Cynthia for an hour about her theater, about her performances, and we would stream this talk into our channels and every Ukrainian could see it. So then those people who cannot have access to our live shows in Les Kurbas in Kiev, they would see the stream and they would hear about American shows, British shows. And I believe this gave the great message. So I'm really, really happy about the Product Fest 5 that we held in August. And we are going to continue with this. Next year, we are going to have another festival, but this time we're renaming it into Ukraine Fringe. We're rebuilding the whole five years of Prague Fest existence, and it's going to be the first Fringe festival in Ukraine. Ukraine never had fringes before, and we're going to have it in 2023 in August. And why in August? Because it's built around the Independence Day of Ukraine. The Ukrainian Independence Day is 21st of August, and I do want the whole week of English-speaking events with foreigners coming in person. And I believe by that time we will win. Yes, I know that we will yeah. win by that time. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have it. <laughs> I, As you were talking about that, like my the hair standing up on my arms, it's just what I, like an ambitious project and also so powerful. And what keeps coming to mind for me is like theater is this exchange between performers and the audience. And what you're doing is like it's this exchange between the Ukraine and the world and you and people uh, again all over the world like you've collaborated with people in Australia and Japan and Taiwan and it's and the UK and it's it's such a power like that speaks to the power of theater to connect people and um, create amidst even the most terrible of circumstances Uh, yes Uh, it's like in ancient Greece when you would speak to the audience, 100 people or 1,000 people, and then each one of these 1,000, they go home and they take a little bit of this message with them. So in our case, when we lived in a bomb shelter and the theaters from all over the world, they started reaching out to us. It's not us contacting them. They started writing to Pro-English Theater because we were the theater who does things in English and because we were still operating, they could see it. Uh, so then we see that the world cares. In a big, big sense, the artistic world cares. And they were like, how can we help? What can we do? And we started talking to Japan. We started talking to Australia, uh, US, uh, UK. And then I, I saw that the theater could be uniting on a level of thespians, of theater makers. Because each one of us, we have this 100 people audience or 1,000 people audience that we can talk. And if we talk among us uh, theater makers, then the message is wider. So we're not talking, I, I wouldn't say pro-English doing so many performances in Kiev these days. This is not the idea. The idea is talk to theater makers who would then speak to their audiences. And I would say yeah. we're pretty successful in this. For now, I guess it's around 100 
50 theaters that we have contacted and spoken to. Mm, that's extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> and again, this like connection of the human spirit that, you know, this power of art to connect us all, even though we live, you know, thousands of miles apart. And the power of technology to do that. Had you filmed your work prior to um, prior to this year? <laughs> that's a great question. We uh, know... <laughs> We never had it as an aspiration to have the digital theater. And we tried during COVID times, the big lockdown, and we never, we were never satisfied with the result and the report it gets from the audience. But with the invasion, we felt it's like the way to still reach to the people. And even though the interest to digital theater drops right now, because post COVID times say people still want to get back to live uh, interaction. Still, we felt like it's one of the ways to reach out. And right now, all of the performances we record with three cameras. Luckily, in Kiev, there are lots of good uh, camera people with good equipment. So we record it with three cameras, with uh, the mics and everything. Then we edit it. And in the end, we have the quality uh, digital recordings. We didn't have this before. We had some, but you know how uh, theatrical recordings are. There is this one camera, and there is the back of the head of the audience there, and that's what you see. So not anymore. Not anymore. We're willing to do the good quality digital uh, theater. And right now, we already have communication with British SceneSaver platform. Probably that's where you saw the Love at Times uh, performance. And we are talking uh, with digital theater, which is a huge, huge platform about cooperation, yeah. they are interested and the quality of what we do is sufficient for them. So soon digital theater will see us. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And what both of those platforms, SceneSaver is available freely to everybody around the world. So it's very, very accessible. And digital theater have their amazing educational platform, Digital Theater Plus, which is literally reaching school children around the globe. And so that's a very exciting uh, ab absolutely. And plus, uh, educational aspect is also very important to us these days. Like the aspect of what our theater, Pringles Theater, was doing and what we wanted to do, it has changed drastically since the beginning of invasion. Now we see a lot of potential into talking to younger audiences and students and uh, guys who study. So we started talking just recently. We hold this talk with Tisch Arts School of Arts of New York talking to their students. We spoke to Kiev Mogila Academy of Ukrainian students and so on. And the idea there is like this. We show them the digital recording of the performance and then they have the ground and they have the question and we start talking. So educational aspect is this. It's still art, but we do talk about different things, how artists go, how we work with the text, how it changed with the beginning of invasion. And it does change the perspective of the students because we're real artists and they see it. And we see lots of potential. So with Digital Theater Plus, that would be our one of the main aspirations to work with yeah. Willow Oh, that is wonderful. So, so exciting. And I love, oh, I have so many questions to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I, you have so many influences in your work, like you've talked about uh, being influenced by um, Grotowski and uh, Peter Brook and um, uh, Augusto Bial. Can you talk a bit more about how you came to all of those influences and how you wanted to incorporate them into your work? Uh, that's actually one of the ways why pre-English theater came into place. Uh, from the very beginning, I wanted to have something that didn't exist in Ukraine before. Remember, we were talking in the beginning about the traditional Ukrainian theater. 
Ukrainian and post-Sovietic theater is heavily influenced by Stanislavski, which is a great guy. He developed the method. He developed pretty much like everything about theater, but it's not, I felt like it's not enough. So uh, when we started with pro-English theater and pro-English drama school in the beginning, I was looking for materials which are not translated into Ukrainian or Russian, original materials that would show like the bigger ways. So Stella Adler, we worked with her book and we started doing workshops with her, uh, not with her, but with her man. <laughs> uh, Sanford Meisner. Oh my God, I love Meisner technique and uh, to apply it in theater. Yeah. Uh, Tadashi Suzuki, the Japanese. Yeah. Um, Augusto Boal and his uh, social theater for theater for social issues. Like, uh, it was, it felt like we opened all of a sudden, we opened this Alice in Wonderland. We opened this Wonderland full of theater techniques that we didn't have before, didn't have access before. We started doing workshops and then we started incorporating them into the uh, into our performances, which I believe yeah. improved our performances greatly. Jerzy Grotowski, oh, that's love of my life. I, <laughs> I, I took one, uh, one week workshop. I specifically went to Poland before the big war. I went to Poland and spent a week there studying in Grotowski Institute. And it was one of the biggest life changes for me because I saw... There was 20 people, students, me included, and they were all from different countries. And they were all speaking English and studying theater techniques. So that was one of the big changes that I came back and say, guys, this is probably how we can do things. And mm. that's how it worked. Wow. And did you have any film background before, you know, you're talking about filming digitally. Does it, do you or anyone in your team have come from a film background? Uh, not me personally. My biggest film background was the advertisement for Cheese Company, and I was acting as Mickey Mouse with the big <laughs> lump of cheese in my hands. So, and I guess that's the biggest of my film experience. <laughs> but we do have film actors and actresses in our team. Say Alina Zivakova, one of our lead actresses and acting coach. She, I would say, she's a celebrity uh, in terms of Ukrainian filmmaking. She did the female lead in Rhino. It's a new mo movie by Oleg Sentsov, and she is the female lead there. She's very good, and she teaches these film acting courses, which I believe like essential for Ukrainian actors because they have to start doing their work in Europe. There is a lot of potential for Ukrainian actors. They are great, but it's mostly theatrical actors. So get them truthful acting in front of camera would be something that we really like wanted to do. Mm. I I ask because the way that you edit and the way that you film, there's such a like organic. Um, it's such it's so beautifully filmed, and it's it's hard to imagine that this is happening in a like a basement theater amidst a war, amidst a pandemic. It's like it's really extraordinary and. There's something also very kind of raw about it. Like some of the angles feel. Is are you using handheld cameras or is it? Are they all on tripods? Uh, for this uh, performance that you've seen, we filmed it during Prague Fest. It was the part of the festival, and it was uh, tripods. But one of them, it was two of them were operated by people, and they were doing zoom and a little bit of uh, movement of the camera angles and everything. But it's still tripods. Yeah. So, it, like, with different performance, uh, with the Book of Sirens, we used different techniques. We had cameraman who would came on stage and they do all this way. So we were experimenting with cameras. But I still want to, you know, save this idea of 
theater. It shouldn't be like a film, in my opinion. It still should be understandable that this is theater filmed with cameras. Mm. That's you are speaking my language. <laughs> that's it's my this is that's why I built the website. Um I love that in both of the in Book of Sirens and in the the work from Product Fest that you can it's very clear that there is an audience present, that we're in a theatrical space. Um I love that, you know, it's very clear what the lighting is and the, the audience reactions. It's all it all comes across in the film or in the yeah, so it's it's this very clear um idea that it's um it's still theater, but we're capturing it on camera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And say it was the Book of Sirens. It's also the idea because that's a performance that we created in a bomb shelter. And we usually put the audience on the floor, sitting on the mats, sitting on the sleeping bags, pretty much like we did during those days. So to film them as a part of the performance, they are becoming not so active part of performance because we only distribute the cans of meat to them. And it's their choice if they open it or not. But huh. uh, they are becoming the part. Uh, mm -hmm. the active part with the laughter with the crying and this is pretty much what the people did when we rehearsed because huh, at the moment we rehearsed the book of sirens people in our theater they lived everywhere 10 people slept in my rehearsal room so you rehearse among the people and their first reactions their first laughter or not understanding or uh, like i want to sleep get out so these reactions we took into the show wow that's, you can't get more uh, developmental than that, <laughs> having yeah. the audience in the room with you throughout the process. Can you explain, I've, I'm so, the, the story behind Book of Sirens is so gorgeous. Can you explain for people that don't know what this, what Book of Sirens is an adaptation of and, and what Book of Sirens is? Yeah, Book of Sirens, I would say it's our flagman production right now. It's the most powerful and the most popular and the strongest performance that we have. We started working on it in March when Kiev was encircled by Russian troops and they tried to take Kiev over. And we lived in the premises of the theater where I am now. 35 people lived here and seven cats. Uh, <laughs> on the seventh or tenth day, like when we were living here, trying to set up logistics, doing humanitarian help, delivering uh, the pampers to old ladies and everything. And on the day seven, I said no. This is not the only thing that you should do. We should do the theater. This is like, if we only get into survival level, it diminishes us. It makes us the survivors, but not the artists. So we were starting looking for the material and it was like this. I came to our library and it's only two shelves. And I was looking at this and there is this book by Marcus Zusa called The Book Thief. And I read this book two times. I love the book. I love the story, but I never wanted to stage it. But here you have no choice. Internet is limited. You just see the book, you grab it, and you start reading it. And then there is a story of Lizelle Meminger, a little girl in fascist Germany, 1939-1945. And there is a story of a little girl who has to go to bomb shelter because Germany starts being bombed. And in this bomb shelter, she starts reading. And I look at this book, and I have shivers all over my skin because it's like, this is the story. And then I look at the windows of my theater, and it's semi-basement. It's not a complete basement. Some windows do look into the street. And in case of the bomb uh, hit, the glass gets shattered and everybody gets uh, injured. So normally you would cover these windows with the sandbags. We didn't have any. So we covered the windows with the books. Mm. And uh, that was like, I'm reading this book right now, Marcus Zusek. I'm looking at our windows covered. And the story was there. 
the story was created like, like this. We took only seven pages of Markus Zusak's story. It's a brilliant story, a brilliant book. I highly recommend everybody to read it. There is a movie based on that. We took only six pages, the story of Lizelle Meminger, her father, and bomb shelter, because it was. That's what we wanted. And out of the six pages, we created 40-minute performance. 40-minute performance about Lizelle Meminger, who's sort of in fascist Germany, but she's also using the modern technology. She uses a telephone, mobile telephone, to check the news. She does the light. She talks to people. And it's pretty much this strange feeling. So you're sort of in Germany of 1939, but then you're back in Ukraine of 2022. So it has all these reminiscences, and you jump here and back. And uh, like I say, this is one of our most powerful performances. It always provokes the discussion. People want to talk about it. We took this performance to several countries. We showed it in Germany. People were talking about World War II. We showed it in Spain. People were talking about the civil war in Spain. We showed it at Gran Canaria Islands. The kids, little kids, were asking us questions about the brutality and horror of war, which they never saw. So it's like, yeah, it's one of the performances that I say should stay because it brings this message. And Markus Zusak gave us his permission to use his words. And that's a great, great thing because I didn't know if ever Markus Zusak would respond to my call. He did. I wrote him in March and it took him, I guess, uh, a month to respond. But then he said, his representative said that Markus would be happy if we use his works and we do. Yeah. yeah. And there's a musical adaptation that I just opened in or just closed in the West End and I think is coming to New York. And uh, I, I think that your work should be like the the prequel, the, the or the after, you know, they we need to put them together so that, you know, it's it's still um, we're, we're still seeing how, how resonant it is today. Uh, and I do hope that, well, it's, it should and can happen, but a musical is a form in itself, I believe, also. So, uh, like, to put the book Sif as a musical is such a great idea. I'm so curious and thrilled about what's going to happen. I do hope that you will come see it, uh, Luisa, and tell us what it's like, because, you know, the book Sif as a musical, wow. It's just like, <laughs> I love the story, like I say, I love this book. Yeah, I... I, I haven't read the book yet. I, I was, um, when I was doing research, I somehow I'd not come across this book before, even yeah. I'm Australian and the author is Australian. And I just, I hadn't come in, onto my radar and just reading the synopsis, I was weeping. This, I, I grew up in Sydney and um, knew Holocaust survivors. And so knowing, you know, that the idea of that, this person of Liesl could have been one of those women was just it moved me so deeply. So, yeah. and, and this piece also resonated so much, of course, like you said, it, it resonates with a lot of people in the recording. There, there are sirens going off. Did I read correctly that they're, they're actual sirens. They're not part of the play. Uh, well, uh, that's how the idea of the sirens came. We were working on one scene and uh, it's a monodrama. It's only one actress, Annabelle Ramirez uh, in it. And uh, she's not the easiest actress to work with. I can tell you. And we were working on the scene and the scene didn't go easily. And, you know, people around and Annabelle is resistant to the ideas and everything. So we were like, ah. And then we hear the siren around, like this big air siren from the street. And everything again clicked. I say, that's what we're going to use. And since then, we never had any problems. We just put sirens uh, into the show. And it has this strong message because right now we're using the recorded sirens of course, but we're using them on a maximum loudness. 
And we always tell the audience, we always tell the audience before the show, we're going to use the sound of recorded sirens quite loud, be ready. And we're going to use the sound of Soviet radio announcement and Soviet war march songs. And all of these three, the sirens, Soviet radio and Soviet march songs, all of the three can be very traumatic for any normal person these days. So that's what we say. That's our warning and people take it. Yeah, people take it. Yeah. And did I read that that show might be coming to New York? Or exactly. Annabelle might be coming to New York? Exactly. We already held negotiations with one of the biggest uh, solo festivals, New York Solo Fest. Uh, it didn't work out for now, but we're looking for the other opportunities. And right now we're discussing a potential sponsorship because for us it's always the question of you know uh, money. There is no money right now in Ukraine. And we're already discussing uh, the potential sponsorship and it might happen. And in February we might bring it to New York. And that would be such a great movement. Yeah, I do hope that we meet and you can see the show. And plus, we have lots, lots of friends. Right now, we're friends with about a dozen of New York theaters. So we definitely have a venue to perform. And we can have like this tour only around New York. It's like, you know, so I'd love to. Yeah. Oh, it must come. I I, I know and it will. I'm, I'm sure of that. Um, going back briefly to ProAct Fest and uh, Love at Times which includes the musical. So it's the um, two, Love at Times tells two stories. One is a drama and the other is a musical. And the drama, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, sees two fire, two fighters from the territorial defense of Kiev discuss their romantic relationship. And the musical, Katie and Frank, where the title couple argue over the old adage, you never listen to me. <laughs> Can you yeah. talk about uh, like the inspiration for this piece and, and how it came about? Well, it's uh, the second show that I uh, directed since the beginning of Invasion. And The Book of Sirens, it is a drama. It is a drama very skillfully done, but a drama. I wanted to give people after this some entertainment and show them that Ukraine is not only about the war. So what's the second thing? It's love. <laughs> if it's not war, it's love. <laughs> so we decided to talk about love uh, at times of war, hence the name, love at times. And it does consist of two parts. And I wanted to give myself as a director a little bit of challenge. The first part, uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, it's a drama, but it has a lot of choreography. These territorial defense fighters, they do dance together. They have the most romantic uh, pair dance ever uh, to mobile phone music and everything. And there is a choreography. I worked with a choreographer. For there, it was important for me to build this male uh, man energy into love and trust to each other. They are LGBT fighters and they are discussing this potential attack on Kyiv and also their relationship. So it's a very cute, cute story and it is about this type of love. And it's a big issue right now in Ukraine because should LGBT fighters be soldiers or not? What's their status and everything? So it's a very, very big issue. And the name of this uh, first part, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, uh, I don't know, do you know this expression? Yeah, it was big okay. in the U.S. too. Yes, yeah. so that's how it was uh, written. And it was written by a Ukrainian playwright, uh, one of the young ones, Nina Zahozhenko, and I wanted to work with this material. Second part, which is a musical, uh, is based on an American playwright. It's Teresa Rabak and her short play called Katie and Frank. And it's about a girl who talks to, the, in original version, she talks to her husband at home and she's like, you never listen to me. 
my therapist says, you never listen to me. And she's like, you know, nagging the husband with this lack of attention. We moved the story into a cafe. And uh, there is a little trick in the end of the story, which I'm not going to reveal. You guys have to see it at uh, Sin Saber, <laughs> uh, that connects to the current war and everything. But uh, to us, it became a story of a gun. Because this is not the trick that I'm not going to. This I'm going to say. She, in the middle of the story, she gets a gun and says, no, are you going to talk to me? And she gets a gun of a purse and she buys this gun in a store, which is about this free access to the guns, which is an issue in Ukraine and I believe in US as well. Oh, yes. Huge problem. Yes. How much power it gives to you? How does it changes your psyche? Uh, what kind of a man you become with the gun or <laughs> without the gun? And of course, we wanted to tackle this issue with an easier approach. So she gets a gun and she starts singing, Mamma Mia, here I go again, my mom. You know, like, so ABBA songs and everything, it puts a light aside to it. And uh, it shows this, uh, how desperate a person can become if he or she wants love and he doesn't get it. So sometimes to me, the message uh, with all the songs and fun and stuff, uh, the message is just like we have to listen to each other closer and pay much more attention to each other. That's, I guess, the thing. And hopefully not down the end of a barrel of a gun. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't take that to, to listen. Yeah. What I loved about both pieces is that, like you mentioned, the choreography, it's so moving and so affecting. Uh, is it Yasmina Sotelo? Is that yes. how I say uh, her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yasmina Sotelo, she is, <laughs> she is the younger sister of Annabelle Ramirez. They are sisters. <laughs> And she's just moving. It's like her first steps into the theater. Uh, but she's a choreographer. She's been studying choreography for so long. And she's been staging this uh, with her together. We did several patriotic pieces. Like uh, in Kiev, there was this exhibition of burnt Russian equipment, you know, this rusty tanks and stuff. And uh, they are in Kiev at Vladimirska Square, one of the biggest squares. So everybody can come and see this rusty tanks. So we came there. And with Jasmine, uh, Jasmine uh, we've just put together a dance piece called the Pomoja Zesu. It's a very upbeat piece. And we did like this uh, mass, mass dance with it. And she choreographed it. So I see what she can do with choreography. And when I wanted to do the performance with choreography, I invited her to stage it. So all the ideas with the sand and dance, like it's her ideas. She's just great. Yeah. It's, it's just so beautiful. And how it, I, I love it's kind of this like... Um stylistic kind of theater that it, it heightened reality I and mean, you have this like very kind of realistic dialogue and it, it feels like you know a slice of life and then suddenly they're doing this beautiful intricate dance that is and the lighting the way the lighting shifts it's so beautiful <laughs> yeah you know one of my favorite musicals which is like the film musical but it's still it's dancer in the dark by lars von trier with bjork and this idea when she's losing sight and her uh uh uh, her world is dim and dark and gray and everything. But as soon as she starts singing or there is a song, everything gets colorful and surrealistic and everything. So this is the idea I wanted to put. A song or a dance is the magic. And it takes us out of this reality. Which I believe, again, something that Ukraine might benefit right now because the reality is dark and gloomy. So we do need this little bit of magic coming. Yeah. And for someone outside of the Ukraine, for me, it it heightens the the tragedy of what is going on and the humanity of it too, because these, you know, in the story of the um, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, these two men who are in love, who can't share their love and, and you know, they're literally fighting for their lives. Um, 
and have to defend themselves on so many levels, not just they're not just fighting for Kiev and Ukraine, they're fighting for themselves too. And it's when when the dance comes into it, it's it's such a heightened expression of that. Yeah, uh, it's like in the end, there is this powerful monologue. Uh, uh, they speak about the other war, the war for our rights, the war for recognition and everything. And one of them, he says, the other war will be later. And his friend says, what if there is no later? What if there is no time to fight for what we are, for people and everything? And one of my touchiest moments in the, is in the beginning when uh, his friend brings him a cake. Uh, to the blog post, a cake with a candle, and he sings happy birthday, which is very inappropriate in the army. But we people, and it's like, <laughs> we had so much fun doing it, and we ate so many cakes at rehearsals. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> I, you just reminded me of the line, um, we we have no flour, no eggs, no sugar, but we're here. <laughs> we're here, yeah, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the moment where he takes out his uh, flick knife to cut the cake. Oh, he's it's a warrior. Nice of. touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about the, like, you, you're working with what you have literally in the in the theater slash bomb shelter slash volunteer center. Um, what technical aspects did you have? Like, what lighting equipment, what uh, sound equipment do you have uh, in the theater you know, after the invasion or pre-the invasion? Uh, well, we are the small independent theater and our performance uh, area is only 40 people audience. So it's really, really black box theater in the like <laughs> initial sense of it. And it's really a uh, small, not so tall ceiling. We don't have much space. So to put like this theatrical big lights, we even couldn't. It's like it wouldn't work. So one of our magicians, the light magicians of Kiev, uh, who is, by the way, he's now the machine gun soldier at the front line, but he's like, he's doing magic with lights. So he <laughs> suggested this idea with LED flashlights, and somehow he rebuilt them so they would read the DMX signal. So what we have right now, we have eight uh, uh, LED, LED flashlights, simple flashlights, but I control them uh, from the DMX uh, controller, and that's what we have. Plus, we have several uh, multicolored RGB things, and that's enough for our venue. But right now, we don't perform uh, that much in our venue. We only rehearse there. So we go to Les Curbas Center, National Les Curbas Center, and they have it all. They have the best lights ever, smoke machine, and, well, they have many, many things, projector, and there we can play with the lights mm -hmm. because it takes this vision because our performance uh, area is really small. So you have to solve sort of scale it into a bigger space and I'm happy when it happens and when it's not happening I'm not so happy because it's like you have to see how it's going to look in a bigger space I my I like my joy is on the floor right now <laughs> the fact that that you can't tell like I was because I was curious where all these lights came from that you know how you had this rig that like it looks like you know a full setup in their film and I I'm blown away that it's it's LED lights like LED flashlights. That's extraordinary. Yeah, your your yeah. lighting person is indeed a magician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, the fun story about <laughs> the props uh, because yeah, most of the props we just get there. Like it was such a difficult thing to get real Kalashnikov the uh, gun into the story, and it's not the working one, but you know to get it in Kiev, like oh. We had to go so many ways. And for this uh, sandbags that we're using for a blog post, original idea was to steal it from a real blog post. But then 
well, first of all, it's dangerous. Second of all, why would you want to disarm Kiev? Because, well, attack from the Russians. <laughs> so in the end, we found a big pile of sand and we bought these bags and we started filling them up. I filled two of them, started carrying them to the car, and then it's so heavy. So the rest of the uh, bags, uh, they are just filled with uh, clothes and stuff. Only two of them are real. Only two of them are filled with scent. <laughs> Secrets revealed. <laughs> but the rest, it's like, it's, I don't know how the guys build blog posts. It's so heavy. <laughs> that's, oh. that's the army for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. That is so extraordinary. And just, again, speaks to like, you know, all the influences that you talked about before, like the theater of um, the poor and the theater of the oppressed and the theater of cruelty, like all of that stuff is really about using what you have and using the human body and using what's around you to make art. And it's like, there's no excuse. You don't need millions of dollars to put on a show. You you just have to do, you just have to make the art. Exactly. And plus uh, like here, it's also gets from a pragmatic uh, point of view because we understand that for English theater, like we already did four, four trips abroad since the beginning of invasion. And we continue with that. We are coming to New York. So we're looking for a performance that's easy to carry with us. That's one suitcase and all of that will do. I just, a couple days ago, there was a new premiere of my new show called Naive Experiments. And all the props of the show are like this red balls. Yes, we're using the 200 of them, but it's only red balls. They can fit into one bag and off we go. And they symbolize it all. They symbolize our secret dreams, desires, our lives, uh, everything. So you don't need that much. You just have to understand what it means and use it creatively, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that it, it took a terrible invasion and a terrible war to get your voice out to the world, but I'm so grateful that your artistic vision and your creativity is able to be shared with the world because it's, it's what we need. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I wouldn't say uh, to Russians anything apart from that's what I would say to them, but uh, it did the war. Now we understand it. It brings the strongest uh, sides in people and the, the weakest sides in people. There are Ukrainians who fled the country. Some deputies, they did fled the country with the money and everything. But there are so many Ukrainians who stayed and started to defend the country. And right now, Ukraine developed a new system of drones in the middle of invasion, in the middle of Iranian drones flying here. We started doing drones that are better quality than anything existing. So, you know, technologies are coming. Art is coming. Uh, I've seen different productions Ukrainian right now doing Shaobune in uh, in German theaters. And it's like this creativity, to me, it looks like it was held like this by economy, by everything. And the war opens up and everybody starts doing their best. Because yeah. you just have to. Yeah, there's there's exactly. no other choice. <laughs> yeah. Before we get to our final segment, how can we support pro-English theater? Uh, oh, thank you for the question. It's right now we don't really have any other sorts of financing than the support from international friends and partners. We used to have a drama school and that gave us 40% uh, of our income. Now, and not anymore. We have only two groups apart from 10, like we used to have. So it's only the donations pretty much that we have and grants. And with grants, we pretty much use them for touring. Like if we get a grant, we go and tour. But we have the venue. The venue here is 200 square, uh, 240 
square meters, plus utilities, they are crazy and stuff, and plus the admin people. So uh, to maintain this venue, we uh, get the donations. And we open up a Patreon account. And before the invasion, we had only two patrons there. Since the beginning of invasion, there are 34 people. And I know each and every one of them by now. They are great, great, great people. And they support us. Uh, but it's not. it doesn't get even 40% for now yet. So it's Patreon. We also get the PayPal with springlishtheater.gmail.com. And sometimes once in a while we announce the additional donation call and people do donate for theater. That's the only way we can survive right now. Well, I will I will have links to both your PayPal and the Patreon in the show notes. So that if people would like to sign up to donate or become a regular patron, they, they will be able to do so. Thank you very um, much. Thank you. So my final segment is called My Favorite Things, and it's where I ask my favorite questions. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. These are a few of my favorite things. Do you have a favorite musical? Uh, that one. Uh, that one is The Dancer in the Dark by Lars von Trier. And again, uh, you wouldn't call it like a pure musical in a way, <laughs> uh, but uh, I really love how it's done and I really love how this magic comes into gray life of people with singing. And I love Tom York. So putting him into this musical and singing uh, in one song with Bjork was a great great deal and i love the story because to me in a musical there are many parts about visual and beauty of it but with a good story oh that's big and who doesn't love bjork <laughs> yes exactly she's exactly. extraordinary <laughs> exactly <laughs> um do you have a favorite filmed live musical or play oh let's see uh i've well, I don't know if it's my favorite, uh, but I've seen Lion King. I really loved how it's done. I think it's very well done. Uh, but again, the story-wise, it's not, I wouldn't call it favorite. Uh, let's see. That's a good question, actually. Uh, well, you can pick I, your own work if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I love myself, of course. No, uh, I, I, I love what Romeo Castellucci is doing and uh, uh, the Italian director. And it's not a musical usually, but he recently turns down into mostly operas. And the, what he does with operas is tremendous. So that one, I don't remember the name, but everybody's wearing white. Oh my God, I forgot the name of it. But it's like, it's so minimalistic and it's pretty much opera. But when I see what Castellucci is doing, it's to me like the God touched the earth. Because <laughs> it's like so minimalistic and at the same it's so huge so he doesn't drag people into story he just puts this big big messages out there i love to see what he does yeah uh we touched on this earlier like what that um filming a stage show it's not a film it, and it still has to keep its theatricality so what should we call the product of the film if it's not if it's not exactly theater when it's now a film and it's not exactly film because it's theater what should we call it <laughs> Uh, theatrical film, uh, <laughs> you know, film theater, film theater, pretty much like what you have in the name film theater, because okay. yeah, uh, to me, one of the biggest difference in film, in movies, uh, the camera, uh, we always tell a person, an audience where to watch. We tell them what the focus is in theater. It's not so much. There is the focus, but you always see the general picture. So uh, with all this film theater things, to me, is not to hint a person where to watch. 
you still have this freedom of theatrical choices and you can look at the smallest, tiniest details and all of them are meaningful. So that would me, for me, would make a good film theater. Yeah. What stage musicals or stage productions would you, do you wish had been filmed? Oh, I know uh, which one I'd love to see. <laughs> uh, uh, there is, of course, The Book of Sirens. I, I think it should be filmed and I think it would be great. I can only imagine with all these Jewish references, uh, how, what kind of musical it's going to be. I think it's going to be great and I think it should be filmed. There is another one uh, and I know it's been done into a musical as well. It's called The Band's Visit. Oh, I yeah. don't know if it's been to Broadway. You heard? Yes. Yeah? Oh, yeah. So, I saw it on Broadway. I love this story. I've seen the film probably 20 times and the story about the small Egyptian orchestra coming to Israeli and how they find this common language person to person is something that I can relate to. Making it into the musical, that's what I would definitely would love to see filmed and mm. or in person anyhow. But this is the great message and a great story. I think it's about to come to the West End, so it's, it, it has a higher chance of being filmed there than it, it, it wasn't filmed here, unfortunately, but it was filmed for the New York Public Library archives, but not for um, public audiences. So hopefully when it goes to the West End, it will be filmed. Yeah, it should. It's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, where can we find you online? Mm. Well, uh, Pringles Theatre is all over. We got the website, pringlestheatre.com. We got the Instagram, Pringles Theatre. We got the Facebook page, Pringles Theatre. <laughs> it's called Pringles Theatre of Ukraine, but still Pringles Theatre finds it. And we spell it the British way, Sietra, T-R-E, somehow. And we recently, we renewed our Twitter. And there is even a Twitter, which we go there, Pringles Theater. And if you go there, you would see Alex Borovensky, because I'm everywhere. I comment every commentary. I <laughs> respond to people. <laughs> so Pringles Theater is my life. So pretty much I have my personal pages of Alex Borovensky. But with Pringles Theater, there is much higher chance to find me and the theater. And we'll have links for all of that in the show notes too. Alex, right. thank you right. so much for your time today. It has just truly been a joy and an honor to speak with you. Thank you, Louisa. It's like I say, it is such a relief to talk to you. And yes, it's very nice to, you know, not to speak only about the war, but to do speak about art and musicals. It's like, thank you so much for what you're doing. Oh, it's, my pleasure. And thing. I can't wait for you to come to New York and I can't wait to see Book of Sirens in person. And I, I hope that we can all come to uh, Kiev next year to see the Ukraine Festival. Yes, Ukraine Fringe, everybody is yeah. invited and it uh, <laughs> should be one of the most popular festivals in the world. should be. Yeah, like absolutely. Again, thank you so much, Alex. Thank you very much, Lisa. Filmed Live Musicals podcast is created and edited by our host, Louisa Lyons. With thanks to our wonderful patrons, Josh Brandon, Geraldine Brewer, Belinda Broido, Elliot Charles, Rachel Esteban, Mercedes Esteban Lyons, Luke Hasselman, David Jones, James T. Lane, Heather Madrone, Wendy Marcotte, Alison Matthews, Al Monaco, David Negrin, Amy Penn, Gerald Piper, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, Joe Tillotson, Beck Twist and Tyson Van Helsing for financially supporting the site. Filmedlivemusicals.com is the most comprehensive list of film stage musicals. 
You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you would like early access to this very podcast, early access to site content, the full weekly newsletter with info on upcoming streams, and exclusive access to the streaming calendar, become a Filmed Live Musicals patron for as little as $3 a month. Visit filmedlivemusicals.com to learn more. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Music. It really helps get the word out about the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thanks for listening. Thank you.